On this episode of the BYO Nano podcast, let's dive into the 2020 hop harvest and find out what's on deck from the Pacific Northwest. Stan Hieronymus is here to break it all down and to offer up some unparalleled insight. Then, I'm headed to Cape Cod to talk with one of the owners of Devil's Purse Brewing about what the summer season was like and what his nano brewery has learned over six months of a pandemic. This is John Hall, and welcome to the BYO Nano podcast, episode nine, and we're into the half-year mark of COVID-19 disrupting life, and now we're headed into a new season. And so I wanted to straddle summer and fall by talking about the harvest and seasonal business, something many of you have top of mind. We'll get into all of it, but first, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the right choice for pro results. Whether it's for your pilot system or production line, their turnkey systems come fully equipped with everything you need to hit the ground running. Designed for easy setup and intuitive use, their brewhouse systems and cellaring equipment deliver uncompromising quality and reliability backed by a name you trust, so you can focus on what matters most, your beer. Visit BlickmanPro.com today. And join us on November 6th and 7th for NanoCon Online. COVID might keep us from being in San Diego, but our new interactive online format will feature the opportunity to get questions answered from craft brewing experts in real time and to learn from each other about what's working and what isn't. You'll also gain full access to video recordings of our 30-plus seminars and roundtable discussions on both the business and brewing side of running a small-scale brewery. With so many fundamental changes this year, it's more important than ever to invest in better understanding the new brewing business landscape and how to best rebuild or launch your small brewery. Don't miss learning from craft brewing industry experts without even leaving your home or brewery with live online sessions covering sales and marketing, brewing operations, business operations, and startups. Plus, when you register now, you'll save $50 and pay just $249. For full event details, check out nanocon.beer. When it comes to covering the hops industry, no one is better than Stan Hieronymus. He's an author, journalist, speaker, and home brewer. He runs the Appalachian Beer website and the monthly Hop Queries newsletter, and both are worth your time. 2020 has been a weird year, and while many brewers should have already been to or were scheduled to visit the Pacific Northwest for hop selection, COVID-19 has changed all of that. Add to the mix the devastating fires that are currently ravaging the region, and there's a new cause for worry. Stan knows hops, the growers, the farms, and the flavors, so he was the obvious choice to speak on what to expect from this year's crop, and he joined me on the phone from his house in Georgia. I've been asking people to sort of take the time machine back to January and to February when things weren't quite so upside down and think about what they were looking forward to or sort of think about what the year ahead had promised for. And I'm curious from your perspective as covering the hops industry and knowing it as well as you do, what was the industry poised for in January and how do you see that has changed since the arrival of COVID-19? Well, um, the curious thing to me is, um, so if you look at, um, there's a 
the hop growers of America have a convention in January. And at that convention, Alex Barth, who usually gives a sort of state of the industry uh, overview. So he, he's the CEO of uh, John High Haas. And that's, they're part of Barth Haas, his name being Barth. Um, so that's that's the German, and they're they're the largest hop broker in the world, and then Hopsteiner is right there with them. And what he he pointed out that you can take this overview, and it certainly appeared that there were going to be enough hops at two, 2020 harvest if no more acres of hops were planted, and then meanwhile. Farmers in the Northwest uh, committed about 5% more hops than they harvested in 2019. Okay. And so that was a bit of a surprise. And, and then in the, in the couple of months after that, of course, the, it, the initial reaction in March is 30% of the breweries in the United States are going to go out of business. Um, and there were a few small things they could do to, to cut back um, what what they would end up harvesting. So in, instead of putting three strings up from a plant, you put one string up from a plant. So you, you're effectively lowering your yield in some cases. Uh, but for the most part, you're going, boy, there could be a lot of hops, uh, extra hops available come uh, you know, late this year and early next year, by the time you process them from pellets and other things like that. Right. Um, you know, in the course of that, of course, it, it turns out that um, many breweries are doing pretty well. Um, and then meanwhile, they use, and continue to use hops uh, very inefficiently. <laughs> multiple, multiple pounds per barrel. Right. Um, so that's, and and it might even out. Um, and, and of those new varieties, of course, th- there was a gigantic uh, bet on more citra and mosaic, more mosaic. And, and those sell at a premium, of course. Uh, but those are, are the hops that that seem to be driving growth. Yeah. You know, after a while, you're going like, how many how many citra beers do I need? Um, but there's consumer s- demand for it, and the brewers and the growers are seeing that, right? Um, and that's that's always so. So you you could uh, maybe not the best example because she, she doesn't grow citra, but Gail Goshi in Oregon is you know is is a, a hop farmer that lots lots of craft brewers have got to know in the last dozen years. Yeah, um, and and in 2007, which is of course the time of the very short-lived um, hop crisis. Um, she she had never mm. talked to a brewer who had used her hops about her hops. There 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 just was not that sort of conversation. And now craft brewers go and they talk to farmers, and farmers have a much better idea what's going on. Um, so you you were you had. A, um, a dealer or a broker in between and a processor. So, so you had the farmer, somebody in between and then the brewer and then the consumer. Right. So knowing what was going on 
was to make to figure out what you should be putting in the ground uh, was very distant. So you know when you're seeing that demand now they have a better idea and and, and it doesn't seem so lunatic to them to plan all these ops and that that somebody will spend money for them. Um, so um, you know that that's that's been a change. So it, um, like at at the beginning of harvest. You, you have the first estimates about how much is going to be harvested. And we, we, you, you knew a lot more citra um, went, was planted this year mm-hmm. and, and a lot more mosaic. Um, but, but at the beginning of harvest, and the same thing's true in Germany. Um, so, so if you're thinking is uh, because of the fires in the Northwest and you had this immediate reaction, does that mean we're going to have hop shortages? So the people don't have contracts, that's a problem. Um, and, and the key driver in 2007 <clears throat> was not the hops with aroma, which at the time were Centennial, Simcoe, and, and Cascade, mm-hmm. hops like that. It was the shortage of alpha because the largest breweries in the world quit operating with contracts. And when all of a sudden you had a warehouse fire that took out some of the, of a, a good chunk of high alpha hops, and then you had some shortages in Europe. They had nowhere to go. So they were going in this cascade that was was going to be used to add flavor and aroma to a pale ale was now being turned into CO2 extract and being added to a, a, a flavorless pale lager sold in China. Yeah. And you go, you've, I, I don't get any bitterness there, but <laughs> you do not have, if you've ever tasted Budweiser without bitterness, a, a beer that has about 10 IBU, then you appreciate the hops that are in there. You don't taste that bitterness, <laughs> but it does provide the balance. Um, so that's what drove it was that shortage. So you can look in, and because the Germans have, have done their, their estimating uh, and they, they know what they're going to have, that <clears throat> there's like, going to be an extra 900 tons of Hercules this year, which is basically the hop now that's turned into CO2 extract and used mm-hmm. to not flavor flavorless beers. Um, <laughs> and, and they, they continue, uh, there's less Magnum, but that's still a net between those. Those are the two big bittering hops and, and Germany is, has taken over the role of growing a lot of alpha for the world. So certainly there's still alpha in in the Northwest, the CTZ and now Pato and, and some of the high alpha like Galena that Hofsteiner does, but the, the, the Germans are easily net at least an extra 500 metric tons of hops. So there's not going to be a hop shortage. Okay. That's, that's not really the issue, but, but have there been impacts because of COVID? Um, so in, in the spring, so you, you have two, labor intensive times in a hop yard. One is in the spring um, when, when you've got to take all these plants and put them on the string. You know, you, you have to take each one and get it started around the string. So um, that takes a fair amount of, of labor. And certainly in Europe, that's a problem, but they were able to get it done. Um, and now like the Germans, one German hop grower, on I think it's on their Instagram feed. They're liking show, showing these pictures of college students that are uh, 
at at the evening, you know, and, and they are social distancing and stuff like that. They're showing up at the end of the day. So so they are still they are recruiting students uh, to help them get through the hop harvest. Okay. Because you would have had, uh, you know, in, in it was a little bit racist or whatever. Uh, like in Germany, it was always, you know, you're having the Poles come in to do this labor and stuff like that. But there's been enough people for to get the labor done. Now, in the Northwest, uh, within the last week, when you have the fires, then that changes that a little bit. Um because now you're asking more important to, to a, a small, so which, so, so first of all, back up in the last week, you've had two things happen in the Northwest. Sure. One, one of which you had uh, gigantic winds come in from the Northeast about 50 miles per hour and blow down a lot of hops. Um, but this, this was well in the, so we're well into harvest. Right. Um, um Oregon was probably a, a week from finishing a week ago, but they didn't get finished because the, the smoke is very bad there. Mm-hmm. And so most um, most farms were not were not picking um, at all. A few a few were picking late last week, uh, and the danger is there that you you can actually get some smoke taint in the hops. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, much of so it doesn't really. I mean, it, it, it's an issue now, say, in the Willamette Valley for all the grapes there, because the grapes do just sitting there in the field on the skins, that smoke is going to end up in the grapes and grapes get rejected because of smoke tape. Um, and additionally, th- those th- the people who are working in those fields, um, you know, last week they still would have been committed to hops. But now they're committed to be in those fields, and and this, of course, um, also goes to the point that we, we do not value people who do and work with agriculture. Um, and they're they're in the case of the grapes people. And I don't know as much about the grapes as some things I've read. A lot of that's piecework. Yeah. So they're running up and down the field. If they if they are not bringing back x pounds of grapes and they're not paid as well hops an entirely different thing okay um, so it's the the field work but but they s- still do have to be in the field and then then you need to be filling the kilns and drying the hops so uh talking to jim Solberg at indie hops in oregon and they basically shut down last week <clears throat> and he said uh, some farmers because they're on a on a uh, uh basis of more uh, brewers are uh, put a certain amount of demand. They, they they want certain hops out of the field by certain dates. Okay. The idea, you know, at all, all when, when the best time to predict, to pick a particular variety of hops is, is generally within a, a week to 10 day window, um, which is why, it, it gets harder to do things like, say, Citra and Mosaic, uh, because they kind of like to be picked at pretty much the same time. Okay. So it, it, it puts a demand on the infrastructure. If you, you, you could have more kilns, but that's very expensive. <laughs> um, so th- anyway, with those demands, some farms in Oregon were picking last week. 
what comes out of the field is not as much of an issue as then they go to dry them. And of course, the drying is pulling air from the environment and pumping them through the hops. That's mm-hmm. how you dry it. You know, you, you warm up the air, you blast it through the hops. That blasting through the hops, there is some concern that that can pick up uh, smoke taint. Um, two years ago, 2018, right? Um, there was there were fires for almost all of the picking season in the Yakima Valley. Right, I remember that. But they were not the air quality was not as bad. Sure. As it is in no, it wasn't right. anything near as intense as right. As so, this. so they sensory wise and everything, Yakima Chief looked at those things and they said they had no issues. So it would lead us to believe that there's there will not be smoke taint issues with most of the citra and mosaic crop. That because they were warm. picked before, yeah. No, no, because they're still being picked right now. Right, okay. Yeah, because even when they're in the field, they aren't picking up the aroma, and now in the drying process, they won't pick it up either. So that they they feel pretty confident with their their smoke problems not being as, as bad as at Oregon. Okay. So, um, but, but meanwhile, talking about this wind from the Northeast, so it's, it's, uh, so basically every hop field, you're looking at the Northeast part of it. It's more likely to be blown down. Um, and that was true in Idaho and, uh, in the Yakima Valley and to an extent in Oregon In Oregon, they got somewhat with rain as well. And this is always a fear, uh, with hops, if you if you get rain during the harvest process, that's when your <clears throat> your hops are, are obviously your, your your plants are are the fullest. That's what you want. They're, mm-hmm. they're full of of these cones, which are going to be thick, and um, and at that point, an entire trellis can come down. And one trellis, uh, which was a nugget field in Oregon, did come down. Uh, when a trellis field comes down, you can either try and put it back up, which you do sometimes, um, or you just go cut those. If, if you're close to harvest time, you go ahead and cut those vines and you take them in and hang them with the picker. Yeah. So a little bit of that probably went on. Um, a lot of citrus was picked before this started. And in some cases, there's in there. Uh, but uh, the, the carpenters, had Yakima Chief, does like you know they're doing this virtual uh, hop harvest yeah I've, I've seen a couple with, of those videos right and so today they they had an update on 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 the fields at least some of the fields that they know about and um so steve carpenter was saying yeah they know uh, you know he went by someplace and basically one crew was just going and picking cones up off the ground that had literally blown off of the plants um and so for the most part, those the, it would seem those will be okay. The interesting one will be is Idaho 7. And there's a lot of expansion of Idaho 7 this year, more into the, you know, as as the name would indicate, it was developed in Idaho. Yeah. Uh, but now it's expanding the Yakima Valley. Um, and, I mean, a lot of brewers like it. It's a really um, in-your-face hop. Mm-hmm. But it also has the advantage of it picks later than Citra <clears throat> and Mosaic. And Sabro and a few others like that. Okay. So in that case, when people could, they want to, you know, they basically want to rehang those plants. So they finished maturing. But but I guess if I had an Idaho 7 contract, I'd certainly want to 
be making sure that that, that had the aroma that I wanted. So Idaho 7 is one of those uh, varieties that have come out in the last couple of years and uh, I think has been embraced by quite a few brewers. Um, every year we keep hearing of uh, new experimental varietals coming out. Was there was there anything on your radar this year that you were particularly intrigued by and its promise for, for beer? Well, the Hot Breeding Company is, um, as far as, I mean, they ended up giving it the name shortly before their virtual hop harvest. But HBC uh, 692, um, which is a daughter of Sabro, and Sabro, of course, was released in 2018, and you know it's been very popular, mm -hmm. big assertive hop. Um, 692, they gave it the name, which is Talus, and Talus is those, those sort of uh, rocky formations that you see around the Yakima Valley. If, if uh, if anybody, if you've been in the Yakima Valley, you know this, because if you come in, if you, if you drive in and you like come over these hills and you're looking here at this giant valley below you. Um, and then of course it climbs on the edges. A lot of those edges, that's, that's where, um, grapes will be planted or, or maybe also a fair amount of apples, stuff okay. like that. Very yeah. little hops. No, people don't like doing hops on hills in, in the U S although they, they do other places. Um, but anyway, so it was named Talus and that, that's going to be because it's HVC, which means it's already, there's a demand for it and they're good at, at filling those pipelines that people are going to be excited about 692. I think, I think it's a really nice hop because Sabro is a cool hop. I, I, you've had it in, I've had it in a zillion single hop beers. Yeah, of course. Um, it's, it's, uh, not the best word to use when we're talking about hops, but it is an alpha hop, you know, it wants to dominate. Um, and, and Talus plays better with others. So it's a chance for, for brewers to say, you know, putting multiple things together and say, you know, how does this fill in here and stuff like that. Yeah. So, and I, and you know, I'm saying they're, they're talking about it as uh, pink grapefruit, citrus rinds, dried right. roses, pine resin, and, uh, more of those tropical fruits plus sage. So there's a and, there's a lot and to... coconut, coconut. Oh, this is this is one that people are. When I was in Brazil last year, I had four that I that I'm going. Okay, that's what they're aiming. People were making the beers they call pina colada, and 692 was at the center of that. Interesting. I'm not 692. Um, Sabro. I'm sorry. Sabro. So I'm okay. Sabro is the one with a ton of coconut. Okay. 692 does not have the coconut. Sorry. Okay. So Sabro was the one was giving more coconut. This this one gives you that nice, you know, kind of kind of fill in the areas. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one. I mean, there's going to be a fair amount of it, and you're going to see, you know, you're going to see DDH beers from the other <laughs> half with Talus. <laughs> well, um, the line forms to the left. Um, right. Yeah. You know, and sorry. And and, and then you know. I would say because there there haven't been any. Well, it's uh, a few. It's been four or five years ago. HBA, which is Hot Products Australia, they released Enigma, which is a, I think it's a daughter of Galaxy. Mm -hmm. Did not have the same impact as Galaxy. So they they have a hop, um, which they'll name soon, probably to sort of kick off their. Thinking because they're down under, they'll they'll be planting soon. Yeah, and uh, it's and right now it's called HPA uh, 
16. It will have a name um, and it'll be available in the United States after this harvest. And there's a lot of excitement about that. And, you know, people going, you know, it gives you some tropical that Galaxy doesn't. Um, and then it also Galaxy, I, I'm not quite sure why that happens, whether it's different lots, or, but sometimes Galaxy gets a sort of harsh bitterness. And uh, they're seeing it at the HBA 016. Um, and, and and I've had a few beers with that in the U.S. that the brewers had their hands on. Is you know, it's it's a big assertive. It can give you the tropical. It has that whole thing. It's going to end up in more hazy IPAs. That's for sure. Um, and then meanwhile, New Zealand has a hop that, that they think is the uh, the most exciting hop since um, Nelson Sauvin, um, and that's called Nectaron. So that's a combination of, and, and of course, if you're familiar with the New Zealand hops like Nelson Sauvin or Motuika, mm -hmm. they're all named after these New Zealand Kiwi places. Yeah. And like when Doug Donlan was, in, and he recently retired as CEO, he once did this whole um, short thing in somebody's uh, podcast or whatever where he just uh, pronounced the names of these hops. Um, now, now they they understand the importance of marketing. Right, That's why people work so hard with coming up. So they're, it's called Nectaron, which is short for Nectar of the Gods. Oh, and and Ron Beetson, who is who has been a longtime hop breeder, so it's kind of a tribute to him. Oh, see, I and thought it was going to be Nectarines and Goldenrod. So I'm no. I'm glad that you clarified it for me. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> right. So I you know I, I I think those are the big ones, but I'll. Uh, you know, Hopsteiner Lotus, which was released last year. Right. A lot of brewers are just getting to know that, um, you know, and from the hop, uh, again, that gets, and that's got a, some vanilla or orange and stuff like that. So it's a, um, a good hop in combination with others. But meanwhile, Hopsteiner has two new releases this year. One of them is Altus, which is giant oily resiny. Um, and I haven't had any beers within it that I know of. And the other called Contessa, which oh. is mean, you know, means it's supposed to be noble. Like okay. It's noble. And that's, that's a replacement for European land race varieties like Hallertau okay. or Sots. So you see you're beginning. That's in a way, that's what Laurel, which is 2016 from Barth Haas, because it's you know that's that's a hop with a French background, but it's it's a lot more alpha. So it's called uh, Laurel to mean floral and lemon, and and it, and it's gravitated to like I, there, there's like no hop. We could just I'm I'm sure that there are some double dry hop sauce beers that I haven't had that are cloudy, yeah, or hazy. Um, <clears throat> but people put it. But so Laurel's been used for that. But the idea is Laurel can be used as a substitute for those land-based varieties in Kolsch's lagers and stuff like that. So ADHA, um, which was the American Dwarf Hop Association, now use the same initials, gave them a different name. They're, they're you know, working on new hop varieties that aren't just dwarf hops. And they have a new hop out uh, called Adina. Um, and again, that's, that's a female noble the, the name is what that leans towards. So 
if you think that bloggers are going to become more popular, which is always that's that's the hope. I, um, well, I I <laughs> I certainly like, but I you know I, I don't in a way I don't care. All I need is one brewer within the range of my house, and I'll just keep going to that same brewer. Okay, that's um so, and I do miss Urban Chestnut. You used um, to live in St. Louis. You're in Georgia now. Uh, Mitch Steele's doing right. some some nice loggers uh, over his, at New Realm. His are he? good, but 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 halfway crooks uh, are my favorites. Before, and, um, be, and they, yeah. I mean, I mean that they're they're long lagered, um, uh, often croisoned, and and they, they're using really good hops. They're, you know, they're they're buying directly from a, a farm that I know, as a matter of fact. And in fact, that's why they're buying from that farm. And um, so that they're, they, they make beers that remind me in some ways of urban chestnut, but yes, Mitch, Mitch Steele's lagers are very nice. So it's, um, there, there's some, there's some lager hope uh, among, oh yeah. and, among the hop harvests. Yeah. Um, um, a creature comforts uh, makes a really nice, mostly Czech Pilsner and, and if, you know, there, there, there are quite a few, if, if back when we used to go to breweries and, and <laughs> remember that of breweries, yeah. it, it was, it was picking up a, a lager was perfectly pleasant, but as far as going to the brewery and say, okay, this is what I'm drinking. Then, then right now halfway crooks and, and uh, new realm probably make the best ones around here. To well, my palate. So, well, we're talking about larger breweries, uh, and, and I want to bring the focus back just a little to uh, some of the smaller ones in the in the few minutes we have left now. But what do you think the last few months should have smaller brewers thinking about when it comes to securing hop contracts? You know, the, the, I think the argument has always been, oh, we're so small, or oh, you know, we just don't have the, you know, the time or the resource. Um, do you think anything has changed in the last year or so that people who might not have thought about contracts in the past that they should be revisiting those thoughts. Well, I, I, th I think almost all, all the vendors, um, you know, have extended their programs so they can deal with those smaller breweries. Um, you know, they're, they're finding ways it, just because, you know, when, when, when you go to, you, you really only cared if you sold your, your hops are like four different companies. Right. <laughs> and, and now they're 8,000. Um, and they're going, how do I deal with this? So the, the, the people who want, and they're not going to be able to do selection uh, for the most part. Um, and, and then part of it is, you know, we talked about halfway crooks. Well, halfway crooks had to buy a pallet from Germany and then took those hops and split them up with other small breweries here in the Atlanta area. Mm -hmm. You know, they said, somebody said, oh yeah, I, I, I really like this Hersbrucker. I'll, I'll take some of this Hersbrucker. Um, and, and, and getting to know, you know, picking because you're small, finding somebody that you're going to buy from. So you say, I'm, I'm going to buy from Hopsteiner. Who's the Hopsteiner representative in my region and you get to know them you say this is what i want and what else can you give me and things like that and what do you know what's going on so talking about well while um the alpha crop is fine in germany saz looks like it's going to be down about 10 percent this year and so if you've got a beer 
that you make with size and you've been buying size on the spot market, there's a good chance you're going to struggle to get that size this year. Okay. Um, because mostly the bigger, so, so then, then if you know, you know, whether it's Hop Steiner and you say what else, you know, and, and you say, Oh, I, I'd like to, uh, I'll give Contessa a try. You, if you're working with Haas and, and so they've got it, you could be say the German or, or it could be Sterling, which is grown in the Northwest. And it's also really dependable size replacement, or you say, I'm looking for something that this may be a little different in my lager. Uh, now Haas is selling the French hops. So you've got the option of say Nistral or even Aramis for bittering <clears throat> Or, you know, and, and there's a whole family of things. So like Barber Rouge, which is French, but is a daughter of Cascade, has this real strawberry note. Oh. And so it actually works really well in a hazy IPA in a combination with other hops. So although it's nice to flit around and say, oh, here's this uh, Denali, which actually has been renamed. Um, and you go, there's a new hop. I want to try the new hop. Mm -hmm. There's another new hop. I want to try the new hop. Like, like maybe it's better to get to know a, a family of hops to where, you, you know, what a dealer can supply that. Right. Um, that's, and, and then work, work with that dealer. So also when, um, again, when, when I was in Brazil last summer, and this is more towards the North. And we're out in the morning and so I've been to like four breweries and every highly hopped IPA has onion garlic. Yeah. And so you go to look and, and, and the, the, it, it would appear <laughs> that that, that was from mosaic, which can happen when it's yeah. picked late and is not stored well and stuff like that. And you go back and so then I'm talking to, the four stop at the brewer who noticed it and wasn't using it. And we went to look at the bag where it's from. I checked the date. I said, you check with the other breweries and see it's those probably all from the same lot. Yeah. Um, so then, then you can go back and, and, and talk to the vendor and say, look, we've got this problem. Um, which doesn't have to be the end of the world because he stops something's onion garlic. you, you can just use it in the boil. <laughs> That's going to boil away. You, right. It's not, I mean, you paid a lot for that hop. I understand that, but it's actually a very efficient bittering hop because we used to use hops to bitter beer. Mm -hmm. We were just meant to add flavor in a, in a, in some sort of orange vanilla, uh, sherbet beer. Right. Well, a lot to chew on and a lot to think about, and I could go on and on and on forever, but uh, time is limited on this particular yes. show. So, um, Stan, thanks so much for taking the time, sharing your insight, and it's it's always great to catch up with you and to hear it directly from you. I don't think there's any other uh, source quite as knowledgeable as you, and uh, so I really appreciate the time. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I know that there is, but, but we'll <laughs> pretend that there isn't. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor. Designed for easy setup and intuitive use, 
Blickman Pro's Brewhouse systems and cellaring equipment deliver uncompromising quality and reliability backed by a name you trust. Visit BlickmanPro.com. There's a good number of small breweries that rely on strong summer business to sustain them through the rest of the year. Often, these are in vacation destinations where the summer months mean tourists who are happy to spend some vacation money. But what happens when something like a pandemic either keeps people away or limits their time in a taproom? During a recent family getaway, I was able to stop by Devil's Purse Brewing on Cape Cod in Massachusetts to find out firsthand from brewer and owner Mike Seegerson. The brewery has been cranking out hard on their seven-barrel system and using a mobile canner to package beer and to get it out the front door and to local accounts. Beers that would have gone to draft are being canned as well, and Seegerson tells me that the bars are loving it. He even wondered if draft beer would ever be able to fully recover. The business is a sort of a hybrid. While they do make a lot in-house, they are also contracting out their Kolsch with a large brewery in Rhode Island, and that helps keep them in stores and top of mind with regular drinkers and visitors alike. In my first in-person interview at a brewery since February, I wanted to get into the backstory from Seegerson and to find out how the last six months, but especially the critical summer months, have been and what he has learned along the way. When you're in a travel destination, when you're in a tourist destination, uh, and obviously I know you don't have experience with working at you know too many other breweries you know uh mainland but like what do you think is the challenge of brewing in a location like this uh definitely seasonality um it's great because it's you know yeah you just have to change gears like so hard (laughs) and and you know that summer is changes due to weather or whatever uh, pandemics. <laughs> we haven't you had know. to deal with a pandemic in the past, no. I mean, but weather is always the big concern. Huge concern, yeah. When March started to roll around and everybody started to realize just how bad COVID-19 could be, what did you do here in the brewery to prepare for the summer? So we, we kind of shut down for, I mean, shut down brewing for a little bit and just were selling beers that we had out of the window. Um, and then we just started ramping up, brewed some specialty beers. You know, we just kind of like... Just to entice people to get in, like to get out of their house a little bit and just come and pick up beer? Uh, yeah, but we also noticed that there was... We opened the window up and there's a lot of online orders and it was like really, really a lot. <laughs> it was like, this is great, okay. So we, you know, started actually brewing more beer and selling it and it was was great so compared with summers past yeah obviously uh drinking here hasn't been a factor but do you you, now that labor day has passed us can you count this as a successful summer uh yes i mean considering definitely uh you know we kind of you know i don't want to get too into it but it's we definitely kind of Change our expectations for the summer. Sure, and we re- we pretty much reached reached those expectations. So, what did you find aside from the Kolsch was moving the most for you? Um, our shiso berry beer, which is kind of a interesting beer that I kind of came up with. I love shiso leaf 
You okay. know, I love Japanese food and Japanese culture. And so I, I don't want, know if I'm familiar with the flavor. Uh, it's in the mint family. Okay. It's like, it has a, almost like a minty anise. And we started using red shiso leaf that's been dried. Okay. It has a fruity character to it. And, and then we re-ferment it with raspberry and blackberry. Okay. And it's dry, but it's also got like oats and rice and wheat and barley. So it's, it's fairly complex to brew, but it's very light and easy drinking. It's not sour. It's not sweet. So it, it's kind of beguiling to people. Yeah. Because like, people, I don't like fruit beers. I'm like, well, you got to try it. It's, but that's a harder sell during COVID, right? I, I, I've been talking to brewers all summer long who have been saying, you know, I, I miss that you know, face-to-face interaction. Yeah. You know, you, everybody's got a mask on. Everybody's six feet away. Everybody is... Um, is that a harder sell? It's obviously a harder sell. So how have you, uh, you know, managed to convince people? So we kind of cemented that, I feel like, last year. A lot of people understood what it was. And uh, so it kind of has a little life of its own. Um, it was a little more difficult when we were just doing online orders. Yeah. So once we opened up the outside here, we were allowed to sell. You can explain to people. It was very helpful. So people would come and buy one can. And then come back and buy like two, four packs. Really? Yeah, it was okay. great. Well, that's great for return business then, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, as far as, though, using the relative downtime, when you don't have to worry about running a tap room, when you're just sort of you know, running out of a, you know, a, a window, as it were, and there's not the same overhead, have you been able to think about the future, think about other things, uh, or has it just been the crisis of week to week right now i know we've been you know we try not to we, we think about it and we're always talking about it but it's hard to know what really is going to happen so right now we're just focusing on keeping this the way it is because our tap room is so small anyways that if we were to be able to be open mm-hmm. it would be so limited that yeah like one person at a time yeah, yeah. or like 16 or something okay where we'd have to have three staff members just for those 16 people or whatever and it was uh, that's tough to justify yeah, the overhead absolutely so what does the future look like then like what have you been like are there things like that that were on your wish list that you're now trying to that you think are closer to happening um i mean i'm gonna air this stuff right <laughs> <laughs> i mean we, you know we had a little bit of a hiccup so we were kind of i don't want to say we're starting from square one but we definitely had kind of took our goals and brought them back a little bit yeah and now we're so but i think we're looking forward to continue i mean we're we're definitely going to make it through this hopefully i mean this is not i'm not scared by that when it comes to innovation and trying to roll out new recipes where is your creativity where does it usually bring you um i mean stuff i like you know where and a lot of like people doing collaborations with other breweries and yeah which is fine and dandy but it's not something i i like to you know we've done we did one with a pizza company okay <laughs> where we mashed in with their dough in the mash oh, okay. and then used like we used uh, also used golden beets and then like you know we used flowers and and we we did like fun stuff there's a flower company again that we used edible flowers as like a whirlpool edition um, which was delicious. So, uh, 
you know, again, like she's so leaf. So it was like, yeah, inspired by weird things that aren't going to be crazy. I know we'll hopefully end up tasting good, not just for the sake of adding chicken nuggets to the mash or whatever. Yeah, but there has to be a personal connection. You have to also get behind it as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and the reputation that you all have built, I think you need to sort of, you know, live with that, right? If so much of your business is done in the summer, I imagine if you can make a good impression on somebody on one season, you could get them to return because yes. people, this this isn't just like a you know a, a once a or a, a once in a lifetime type of thing. Like they're regulars that come back absolutely every summer. And we we hope to have them return home, and at some point be able to get our beers. We get a lot of emails saying like, where do we find your beer in Boston or you know Connecticut? We do you know a small amount of business, but a lot of people come from you know Connecticut to here. I mean, it's, I did when yeah. I grew up, so. How do you manage that, though? I mean, I, I know you're contracting out uh, for, for the Kolsch. Um, when you think about opening up new markets with just, I guess, the one beer, mm-hmm. right? What's the strategy? What's the, what's the thought that goes into what new market to open next? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too into it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. We, we kind of try to start small and not and then working with a distributor which is never easy i mean it's never you know um but yeah we keep it small and we have a couple of guys in connecticut who are just kind of like it's like guerrilla warfare they're out there just you know pushing and pushing the beer pounding the pavement yeah and, yeah and doing a really good job at it so but you have to right i mean it's not enough to. to just be small and be niche right if you're going to get into doing outside sales you have to yeah you can't just rely on a distributor you can't and we've learned that the hard way okay <laughs> i'll leave it at that but it's um yeah you know it's we you know but we're also in the weird phase where we do have sort of a you know um cult following but we also have this we make a ton of beer so it's like okay we try to push it out strategically to places where people do vacation on the Cape. So it's not like we're just pushing it into like Chicago or something. <laughs> it's like, right. It, yeah. You're not jumping States. You're we're, we're trying to keep it. Yeah. As you know, in, you know, Rhode Island, Connecticut, you know, we were in Maine for a little bit. I don't think that was the right idea, but you know, you live, you learn. I sure. Guess, so, and I, that's so much of the, the, the trial and error. If, uh, if you could go back to your younger self when you first opened up, what would be the piece of advice that you'd give yourself uh, to make it a little bit easier? Uh, make less beers. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. We, we came out and I, I love just to, you know, I just feel like sometimes it's spinning your wheels, making the same thing all the time. But I think it would have made more sense. Um, make more IPAs, unfortunately, you know. Why do you say unfortunately? Because I... I just feel like it's such a huge pool of IPA mm-hmm. that you're tossing the you know grain of sand into, but everyone drinks them, so it's I don't know. It's hard to explain. I guess it's more of a uh, going to a bar and seeing like 16 IPAs. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Like, but a locally made culture, though, I think stands out, and that's yeah. got to be a. That's huge. For yeah. Me. That's that's really like going somewhere and drinking a Kolsch and 
it always consistently tastes the same and people love it. It's, it's great. And it's got to be an easier sell to the folks who are still drinking the big three. Yes. Bud Miller course. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so a lot of times it was, uh, you know, husband would come in, his wife is a wine drinker. Mm-hmm. We got this a lot and she had Kolsch and now she's like, that person loves Kolsch now. You know, we're like, I don't drink beer, but I love Kolsch, which is amazing. Yeah. That's a, that's a wonderful compliment. Um, for those who aren't familiar with what it is, uh, what is a devil's purse? Excuse me. Uh, devil's purse is a skate egg sack. So it's a, a skate is a fish lives on the bottom of the ocean. Um, a lot of them out here. Yeah. And they lay an egg and create a like mucus membrane around it. Yeah. And it attaches to a rock on the, and I guess it keeps it from being eaten. Mm-hmm. That's what I've read at least. And, uh, they, the egg hatches, the sack ends up on the beach, dries up. Yeah. And it, it was just this uh, memory I've had when I was a child. It's one of my first memories is making like a sandcastle or something and like picking it up being like, wow. And someone said, that's a devil's purse. I'm like, wow. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so the name of the brewery was with you from a, yeah. from a pretty, yeah. pretty young age. And well, I had uh, made a, uh, I had made a, a homebrew I called devil's purse ale. Okay. And people were like, wow, it's great name. <laughs> But I, I was noticing when I'm looking at your at your sweatshirt because I remember seeing these as I was growing up on the on the beach as well. Um, it looks like a mask with a string coming off of each of the four <laughs> corners of, of of the mask. Right. Um, is it popular merchandise now in the age of COVID? Uh, it's actually been our. It's been very uh, popular. Okay. Yeah. This year, even yeah, it was a. Uh, you know, we've been kind of uh, switching it up to different colors for the summer and. Every time we get like something new, people buy it out. Okay, which is nice. Yeah, but I don't know if it has to do with the mask part. Or yeah, not, if but. it looks like a mask or not, or if it's just people want to. <laughs> but we hear that a lot. Local. Yeah, we've been hearing that a lot, and uh, I'd never heard that before this pandemic happened. So I think it's with you from here on out at this point. <laughs> yeah, we should make a mask. That's <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, thanks for sitting down with me, or standing up, as it were, in the middle of the brewery on a no nice Friday <laughs> afternoon. Well, thanks for listening to me. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. Harvest season is upon us, so what are you brewing with? Where did it come from, and what inspired you to make it? Tell me about all of your fruit, vegetable, and herb beers by emailing nano at byo.com, and I'll read some letters on the next show. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great homebrewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of each month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And also, you can do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing us at nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And our thanks to this episode's sponsor. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the right choice for pro results. Whether it's for your pilot system or production line, their turnkey systems come fully equipped with everything you need to hit the ground running. Designed for easy setup and intuitive use, their brew house systems and cellaring equipment deliver uncompromising quality and reliability backed by a name you trust, so you can focus on what matters most. 
your beer. Visit BlickmanPro.com today. And join us on November 6th and 7th for, Nan- for NanoCon online. COVID might keep us from being in San Diego, but our new interactive online format will feature the opportunity to get questions answered from craft brewing experts in real time and to learn from each other about what's working and what isn't. You'll also gain full access to video recordings of our 30-plus seminars and roundtable discussions on both the business and brewing side of running a small-scale brewery. With so many fundamental changes this year, it's more important than ever to invest in better understanding the new brewing business landscape and how to best rebuild or launch your small brewery. Don't miss learning from craft brewing industry experts without even leaving your home or brewery. With live online sessions covering sales and marketing, brewing operations, business operations, and startups. Plus, when you register now, you'll save $50 and pay just $249. For full event details, check out nanocon.beer. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. Find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Thanks to Scott McCampbell for supplying the music for this show. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day.